Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Horticulture Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Ben Raskin, Head of Horticulture and Agroforestry at the Soil Association. Now Ben has been working in horticulture for more than 25 years and has been with the Soil Association since 2006. He co-chairs the Defra Edibles Horticulture Roundtable and his experience includes running a walled garden in Sussex, supplying a Michelin-starred restaurant, sounds interesting, and working for Garden Organic at their gardens in Kent. And he also set up and ran a 10-acre horticultural production um, farm at Dalesford and moved to the um, Welsh College of Horticulture as a commercial manager after that. He's also worked in project managing agroforestry, but most recently, which is what we're talking about mostly today, um, he's got a new book out called The Woodchip Handbook, and um, it's a really useful overview of the possibilities afforded by Woodchip for growers and landscapers at any scale, from the farm to the garden to the greenhouse, and even on my allotment. So, hello, Ben. How are you doing? Hi, Matthew. Yeah, all good. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on. Now, a um, little while since I talked to you, so how, how have you been coping during lockdown? What's been going on with you? Uh, well, sort of pluses and minuses, I guess. Uh, like most people, I think uh, the offices all shut down in the Soil Association and we were all sent off to work from home, uh, which is okay for me. I have a little tiny little garden office, uh, which was okay. Uh, I think I was saved by the work I do on the agroforestry at the farm. So once a week I was over looking after trees and that definitely helped my uh, mental sanity, I think. I think if otherwise I'd been a bit stir crazy so no i think the uh the garden and getting into nature has helped a lot of people and um i've been getting into nature in the last um few weeks winter on the allotment um i've just talked to you about it before we started this throwing a load of wood chip on it but um with your book and wood chip 
our audience would be interested about wood chip and, and commercial purposes, you know, propagation, landscaping, mulching, soil health. Um, so how does wood chip um, work for commercial purposes? How, does it, how, how is it good commercially? So, I mean, you've, you've obviously you've outlined a few of them there. I think as a mulch, it's fairly well known to be, to be a useful thing to do. I think one of the things I found when I was researching the book was it was even more useful than I thought. <laughs> um, so in landscaping, obviously, you know, it helps cut weeds out. It helps hold moisture in, so up to 25% uh, increase in soil moisture, for instance. Um, but there's other things happening as well on the mulch. So there, particularly if it's uh, not composted mulch, if it's freshly chipped wood, there will be uh, allopathic chemicals in it that stop weed germination. So it can actually work chemically to prevent weeds as well as smothering, smothering them through blocking out light. So yeah, lots of interesting stuff going on. And then once it's on the soil, obviously, as it breaks down, uh, it's releasing organic matter into the soil and building particularly soil fungi. Um, and we're really only, I think, starting to understand the role that soil fungi play um, in, well, sequestering carbon, but also the transport of nutrients around under the soil uh, and, and just general health, uh, particularly for woody plants, trees and shrubs. Oh, brilliant. What about propagation? Can you, can you use um, wood chip for that? Well, you can. And again, this, I think there's a few... Uh, myths around wood chip. Some of them have some basis, um, but they've potentially been a bit overblown, I think, over the years. And one of them is that you can't use wood chip in compost. Um, and and we did a trial actually at the Soil Association with the Innovative Farmers Programme that we do using composted wood chip as a propagation um, compost substrate. Uh, so it was basically just composted wood chip. Uh, the tiny bit of the packhouse waste went into it as well, but it's mostly wood chip turned a few times over the summer, left for effectively 18 months to rot down and then sieved with a little bit of biochar added in. Uh, and we we trialled it with leeks and cabbage. There's a grower called Ian Tolhurst in, in Berkshire. He's an amazing grower. Uh, so I'm sure some of your listeners will know of him. Um, and, and it performed uh, comparably to, to one of the leading uh, peat-based propagation composts. Uh, and and actually, one of the leek crops had less disease with the wood chip compost when it was out in the field. So, I think the the success of that actually surprised quite a few of us. No, I know. Um, I know old uh, Tolly. I've uh, one of my, exactly one, 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 one of my heroes, a, 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 a vegan grower, a commercial vegan grower. Indeed. One of the very few. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. people, when I when when I mentioned this using loads of wood chip on my allotments you know, I talked to our uh, technical editor Sally Drury about it and she said oh be careful be careful of the nitrogen you know you might you might starve all your plants so is that a concern or is that a myth so yeah so I mean it's both in a way so so I think there is a, a genuine risk um, of nitrogen robbing but it actually it's a very low risk um, and I think there's two things to be aware of one is uh, not to dig in particularly fresh wood chip that's when the problems come so it seems to be that it it robs nitrogen from maybe around sort of one centimeter where it touches the soil so if you just put it down as a mulch on top you're effectively only affecting that top potentially one centimeter of soil as soon as you dig it in of course there's lots of soil touching all of the chip and that's when the problems occur um, the other the other potential issue uh, is very shallow rooted plants. So I think I saw a problem on some of my raspberries, for instance, which obviously 
send out those sort of very shallow um, runners under the soil. So, so, th so there is some risk, but mostly it's pretty low. If you're if you're mulching trees and shrubs, the roots are deep enough, I think, for it not to be affected. But if you're concerned, then you can just compost it for six nine months first, and that will start the breakdown period. Um, and then when you add it, there's there's much less risk of the nitrogen robbing. But certainly, if you're using it for vegetable beds or you know no dig beds or vegetable. Um, production I would recommend composting it first. Brilliant advice there Ben thanks for that. Now what about sourcing and cost? How do you get hold of it? How much does it cost in comparison to other materials? So yeah I mean it does vary a lot um, and it varies partly on where you are in the country so some places uh, you seem to be able to get hold of it relatively easy. I was talking to a grower in the Midlands who said they can't get hold of any now from tree surgeons it's all being dis you know, it's all taken up and people I think people are beginning to value it more uh, I'm sure after my book even more so but <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think whereas you know for some for some tree surgeons particularly it's still a waste product that they have to pay to get rid of but I think some of them are starting to see there's a value in creating a, a product themselves others um, are now in a position where they might even be able to start charging a little bit to farmers and growers that want it um, but certainly where we are in Wiltshire, we're still getting some free wood chip from two tree surgeons. And there's a um, website, Arb Talk, where you can register yourself as a, as a tip site. Um, <clears throat> I think if you've got the space to grow your own, then you get more control over it. Um, so inevitably, if you're taking stuff from tree surgeons, it's a mix of stuff. You, you know, you can't really guarantee what species it is. There might be some diseased wood in there which again we can talk about, I don't think it's a massive problem but it's still, it's a bit of a risk. And I've even had, you know, the odd uh, chainsaw helmet or, <laughs> uh, you know, sack of something in there that, that got in there by mistake. Whereas if you're growing your own, you can potentially grow a single species with a particular property or you can make sure that it's all a particular size chip which might go through a spreader more easily. So there's, you know, if, you, if you've got the space to grow your own then it, there's a cost to that, obviously, um, but it gives you more control over the product. Oh, great. What, what about um, willow wood chip and preventing tree diseases? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so that was another innovative farmer's field lab we did. Uh, and there's a um, researcher, Glyn Percival, who, who works with trees, who noticed in, an, in another study he was doing that uh, where he, he was mulching with single species wood chips and he noticed that the, the apple trees that had the willow wood chip on seemed to have less scab. Um, so we picked up on this with him and, and trialled with some cider orchards in, the, in Somerset to see if we could replicate that practically out in, out in the orchard. Uh, and the, the concept basically is the salicylic acid in the willow, which is aspirin effectively, uh, seems to stimulate an immune reaction in the tree to make it better able to fight, in this case, scab, but potentially, you know, a whole range of diseases. Um, the, the trial wasn't conclusive, but it did show a trend towards a reduction in scab. Um, and there's a few factors. Uh, one is that different willows have quite differing levels of salicylic acid in them. And we weren't always using the, the variety with the highest level. So that would be one thing. It's also much higher concentration in the bark of the willow. So if we could find a source of willow bark, for instance, that would work. Um, and there's there's also some sort of critical bits around timing. So you have to harvest and chip the willow when the sap starts to rise in February, but then you have to apply it pretty quickly because otherwise it all leaches out. 
so it does get a little bit complicated but but there's uh, there's definitely seems to be something in it um, so yeah really interesting No, it's Glenn Percival from Bartlett. He's always full of innovative yeah, ideas. Exactly. Um, what about um, possibility of, you know, you mentioned wood chip becoming more of a commercial product possibly and being worth more money. Um, do you think it's going to be a, a, a sort of product which is going to be generally for sale in, in garden centres at the uh, same price as, say, compost and people are going to buy it by the sackful? I think it might be. I mean, I'm already starting to see it. I was at a farm shop the other day and they were selling ton bags of I can't remember sort of three or four different products so one of them was wood chip um, and it seems to go for, for a ton bag of sort of anywhere between 50 and 150 pounds um, so so I think there is a value in it I think for gardeners uh, you know where they they you know they might not be able to have a big load dumped by a tree surgeon you know but still want to get hold of some um, you know there are people selling 80 100 liter bags there are people selling ton bags so I think I think there's a market and I think um, I think it will develop I think as people understand the role I mean the, the the interesting thing for me is how it ties into the biomass wood chip market which obviously sucks up a lot of wood chip um, if if we can get more towards um, you know solar and wind and, and the amount of wood chip used in biomass is reduced that could release more for horticultural purposes but no, no, indeed. I mean, you, and you mentioned in Thomas the vegan grower before, and I guess this is a good alternative to using animal manures. It is, and I mean, it, it's not, you know, it's not a fertility product in in a sense. You know, I mean, it does have nutrients in it clearly, but you you wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't use it as a uh, as a source of nutrient in that sense on the soil. It's about boosting soil health. Um, and and Tolly's been using it. He's been using composted wood chip on his soils for about ten years, um, and he he says that he's seen a a step change in productivity since he started putting wood chip on. And one of one of the things actually that prompted me to to look at writing the book was standing in a field with him, looking at his soil where he'd put the wood chip a couple of months earlier, and you know there wasn't a bit of his soil that wasn't a worm cast the biological activity in the soil was incredible and he's not as you know I think you know he's not on the best land he's on grade three soil you know it's not where you would choose to grow vegetables but his crops are astonishing and the soil is so alive um, and he definitely puts up quite a bit of that down to the to the wood chip that's really interesting innovative stuff now you mentioned Pete earlier on now Pete big issue at the moment like we 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 did a survey um recently we asked our readership basically do you want to keep pete or not we didn't know what the answer was going to be and 76 percent said they want to keep it which is basically the silent majority as far as i can see i was one of the minority i'll have to confess i did reply <laughs> to the <laughs> well no i mean we, we we honestly didn't know what the answer was going to be but we, we but you know i just thought it was a well worth a question well worth asking because Pete is getting to a critical point where if people want to keep it they're going to have to do something about it now because the government is due to you know act so what's what's your view on on where Pete's going I mean my my personal view is in the long term the, the there isn't a reason to be using it you know we we grew lots of stuff before we uh, discovered we could use peat. Uh, now clearly the industry at the moment is not in a position to be able to turn around next year and say right let's do without peat. 
Um, you know, there's no question, particularly on the, you know, things like mushrooms, and you know, we're probably quite a long way off. Um, but my view is there are alternatives. You know, we're an inventive species. We can find alternatives. And the fact that, you know, with the propagation compost trial we did, you know, someone on a farm can just pile up wood chip and rot it down and propagate vegetables. You know, I, I don't see that technically we, we uh, it's impossible to find a way to replace peat. I think, you know, we do need more pressure. I think we've been prevaricating probably for too long. Um, but equally, I, you know, I also understand we can't just turn around and, and pull the rug out from systems that have developed to rely on it. But there is a cost issue, you know, peat is used because it's a good product and it's easy to use and it's cheap and it's plentiful, you just dig it out of the ground. And people, I think, are going to have to accept the fact that some of these things, if we care about the environment, the cost of food will have to go up because we can't just always find the cheapest solution when there are other impacts of using that. So. No, that's my view. <laughs> no, 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 it's well, well worth listening to. And do you, do you think there need to be exceptions? I mean, you, you mentioned mushrooms. Do you, do you think there should be exceptions um, for a number of years? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would see them as temporary exceptions, certainly. Um, you know, the I think we need a more detailed roadmap. I think we need, you know, I think even at the moment where people are starting to move away from peat, there's problems with supply of alternative materials. It's obviously going to take time to build up a supply chain um, of those alternatives uh, and I think you know the mushroom industry probably has been slower than the horticultural industry to start developing some of these um, but I think increasingly consumers are asking questions about uh, how their food is produced we you know we get the soil association we now get much more informed questions from our supporters or you know people interested than we did 10 years ago they don't 10 years ago, it might just have been enough that it was organic. Now they want to know, well, hang on, I've read that, you know, such and such is like, you still allow peat in organic, that's terrible. You know, they really care about this stuff and I think we have to, we have to keep moving forward. Um, but it's, it's clearly not easy with some, with some crops, so. No, no, I see. No, it seems to be that we've come, come to a bit of a, well, there's a lot going on. Um, environmentally and politically at the moment we, we uh, you know we just had cop 26 quite recently you know we're, we're working through the pandemic and brexit as soil association uh, uh, has a big a big role to play in this do you, do you think the soil association and horticulture has kind of come of age as a as a kind of political voice at the moment uh well i hope so i think i mean i think the whole conversation around environmental organic sustainable farming however you want to you know, frame it, I think, has changed unbelievably in the last five years. Um, I think, I think certainly over the 15 years I've been at the Soil Association, two things have happened. One is I think the organic sector has become more outward looking um, and willing to engage. Uh, and I think the rest of the world has become more aware of the challenges uh, that, that are facing our food production system and the planet. And I think a combination of those two things means that Whereas, I mean, I, I think I well remember in 10 years ago, people crossing a room to avoid me at a, at a conference if they knew I was from the Soil Association. You know, now the opposite is true. And, you know, we can't keep up at the moment in the Soil Association with the opportunities to, to do work. You know, we're, we're, we're engaged in so many funding bids that it's, it's a bit scary. Um, but it's really positive and it's really encouraging. And I think 
uh, you know, for us, whether people choose to be organically certified or not, uh, I think almost everybody's now is is looking at producing more environmentally. No, great, thanks for that, Ben. Now you're involved in the uh, DEFRA Edibles Horticulture Round Table. What are they up to at the moment? So yeah, so that comes out of the Fruit and Veg Alliance, which is a big group of uh, fruit and vegetable producers and some other organisations. Uh, and we work closely with the horticultural team in, in DEFRA. Um, and it is, I mean, as, as your listeners will know, it's a difficult time at the moment. There's real challenges. Uh, from both COVID and Brexit, um, and as well as all of those wider, longer-term things we talked about, um, and we we really try and work very constructively with the Defra horticultural team, who are very much on our side, but not always um, able to achieve what they want to in wider government, because there are other departments like the Home Office and things that that sometimes have a more powerful voice. Um, but but effectively, I would. Yeah, I would urge anyone to support the Fruit and Veg Alliance and, and the work of the, the round table. And, and, and if they have things that they want to bring to the attention of the horticultural team in DEFRA, then, you know, it's a good it's a good way in. It's a good voice. Um, and and there's lots of organisations that I suspect most of your uh, most of your listeners will be aware of that can they can feed through. So. Now, another uh, area which has had a bit of a voice in Parliament in recent times is agroforestry. I think Kerry McCarthy's talked a bit about this at uh, various meetings. Now, um, and you're involved in agroforestry too, so what, what's agroforestry's role um, for the future, do you think? I see agroforestry as potentially one of the biggest ways we can we can change the the way that we farm so i mean as i'm sure most of your listeners know it's it's the integration of trees into farming or growing so rather than separate them out you grow them together and it's in livestock farming i think it's uh, there's almost no downsides in most situations you can increase productivity and environmental goods uh, animal welfare all of that sort of thing quite quickly i think in crop situations it becomes a little trickier. I think the benefits are still there and the potential productivity gains are still there, um, but it gets a little bit more complicated um, because you will lose some of the yield of the crop um, that should be outweighed by the extra yield that you bring in through the tree production, but it it requires a bit more balancing and often a slightly longer-term investment, um, which makes it, I think, a little bit trickier for cropping and you know arable and horticulture than it would for livestock um, but effectively it enables you to grow I'm really interested in the potential for nut crops for instance we there's a massive uh, market for nut crops we import almost all of them at the moment we grow very little in this country we don't have that much processing capacity at the moment we don't have uh, you know particular sort of marketing channels um, but there's lots of farmers are starting to plant up areas of for instance walnuts and chestnuts i'm growing some almonds in wiltshire which is a little um speculative but they're they're growing well not producing very much yet but they're growing well um so so you know and and you can then start to produce more protein crops in the uk for instance and and if you can design the system right then it it shouldn't impact on the amount of other crops we can bring so yeah, I think there's huge potential, but it's not always easy, and it's quite expensive, uh, and it needs a long-term view and uh, and some support, which uh, hopefully the government are going to be uh, announcing soon. We hope. Ah, oh, brilliant! Now we've certainly covered some 
interesting new ground there. But talking of nuts, we're going to go back to an old chestnut question. Ben, just to finish, what is your desert island plant? What plant would you take if you were stranded on a desert island? Well, I am going to choose a nut tree. I'm going to choose a walnut tree because I love walnuts. Um, and I can sit under the shade on the desert island and I can catch the nuts as they fall into my hand. And I don't need a nutcracker. I can just find a stone and, you know, gently, gently crack open the walnuts. Sounds idyllic. Well, thanks for listening to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Matthew Appleby and I've been with Ben Raskin. Now make sure you never miss a Horticulture Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And if you're interested in producing a podcast with Hort Week, contact me, matthew.appleby at haymarket.com. Once again, thanks and goodbye until next time. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.